0: Destroyed.
1: Glad you made it, Voltan. Better life than never! (laughs) Dale! Look out, Flash! What? Don't move! Stay where you are! Long live Flash. You've saved your life. Have
0: a nice day. Yes! It's EGAT. I'm Kevin. The voice you're going to hear is Paul. Beautiful, beautiful day here in Austin, Texas. We've got a lot of stuff to get to, including NFL draft stuff. We do, want to, do definitely want to give some love to everyone who's been subscribing, reviewing, um, and then also using our sponsors. Uh, it, it can really be a big-time advantage for you, including David McClellan, who is a fiduciary financial forum financial. David's a great guy. He specializes in financial life coaching, also retirement planning, and right now he's offering free consultations. So if you are part of the EGAT family, that's all you got to mention. David can help you understand your financial freedom number, maybe some things you could be doing a little differently too, to uh, build your wealth and also achieve financial freedom faster. Very, very sharp guy, won multiple national championships as a Texas swimmer, and he is taking those taking those winning ways uh, to the fiduciary financial advisor role and uh, definitely can help out our listeners. He's already done that, too. So give him a call. It is 312-933-8823. That's 312-933-8823 or dmcclellan at formfin.com. Paul, how are we doing, buddy?
1: I'm doing good. You know, it occurs to me that David is not only a, a triumph of good financial advice and also as, as a swimmer, but he overcame years of chlorine poisoning and still <laughs> operates with high level brain function. Yes, that is a good point. I didn't think about that. Yeah, he's He's been able to been able to overcome
0: a lot, but he does have Eddie Reese in his back pocket, so that always helps.
1: That does help. But yeah, David, here's the proposition on David. You call the number. Basically, there's a lot going on, if you guys haven't noticed, Um, capital gains rates potentially skyrocketing, uh, federal tax rates skyrocketing. I live in California, so I'm always getting screwed on state taxes. Thanks, California. And then uh, also, of course, we've got the possibility that 1031 exchanges for real estate may be soon outlawed, prohibited, or limited. If you think you have a full grasp of the scope and implications of every one of those things, let me tell you, you don't. (laughs) Give David a call, and he's going to help you understand what's going on. And if there's a fit, you'll work with him. And if you don't have a fit, guess what? You just got about 15 minutes of awesome free financial advice. Yep.
0: Yep, exactly. It's free. So go ahead and give it a shot. And you bring up some good points. Definitely changing environment right now. So you want to talk to a professional who can help you out and maybe get some stuff done while you can. Uh, all right. We had the draft. Uh, we previewed it a little bit. And I love the NFL draft. It uh, we will get in we can get into a lot of stuff. What Dallas did, what Houston did. One thing that was pretty obvious, at least on day one on Thursday, no
1: big 12 players. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. fortunately, uh, the Big 12 had a slightly better day too, right. which is good, but from a perceptual impact, I think that was a, a big negative for the Big 12, certainly a, a negative for Texas. Those of you who are familiar with me and my writing, uh, I have been shitting on the Big 12 basically since its reformation and pointing out the dem- demographic inevitabilities of the Big, big 12, how it's going to devolve into a minor league And it does have nothing to do with Texas. Look, the reason the Big 12 exists is because of Texas. So when people say things like, well, that's because we've been down. That's why the Big 12 is down. No, no, no. You guys got it wrong. I want to know what a conference can do for Texas, not what Texas can do for the conference, which is single-handedly keep the Big 12 on life support. So irrespective of Texas and putting Texas aside, and Texas had five players drafted, which is an improvement over recent years. Uh, The Big 12 as a whole, we're going to cover some of the numbers per capita, and they're pretty shocking. And so it's not just a question of some bad luck on day one. It's a question of a a holistic decline in the Big 12 as a whole. And it's just because of demographics. It's also because of TV sets, because of perception. uh, It's it's because of all those things. And now more than ever, your conference matters in a way that, you know, I would have argued five years ago that Texas can just be Texas and sort of defy the headwinds of a weak conference. But I'm not so sure about that anymore, Kevin. Yeah, Ohio State's done a good job with that. Now, the
0: Big Ten has been better the last couple, last five, ten years. But the Big Ten definitely had some down times, and Ohio State was able to kind of get through that. Now, well, I guess they won it in 2014. So, yeah, even with the national championship. But I think you make some good points. And, yeah, it, it does feel like it's a lot more tied to the conference. Obviously, the SEC has been able to use that as a, as a selling point, even for schools and programs that aren't doing that well. But 22 overall selections in the NFL draft from Big 12 football programs. You had Oklahoma and Texas had five picks each, which tied for 11th among all schools. So those are your flagship schools, and they're, they're sitting at 11 nationally.
1: Yep, yep, that's exactly right. So hey, let's do this. Let's create a little structure for our listeners so they understand what we're gonna, how we're going to pitch this to them. We're going to cover the draft, but we're going to give the Texas perspective first. So what Kevin and I are going to do is break down the five teams that the five respective Texas players were drafted to, how they sort of fit with those teams. If, that, if it was a good landing spot, we can talk about their futures there. And then let's talk about the conference argument. And then let's finish up with some of the Texas-related pro teams. And then maybe some random teams. Of course, San Francisco had a very high-profile selection, a surprise selection of Trey Lance. Uh, We can, you know, either praise or dump on some various NFL teams around the league. And that's how we'll finish it up. Is that fair, Kevin? That works for me. Let's do it. Let's start. Let's let's start with Texas, Texas, my man. Yeah.
0: So no first-round picks. I I expected both those guys even months ago uh, after. Joseph Osai was really taking the Big 12 by storm. I, I still said, I'll take the field. Um, I didn't know he'd end up being a third rounder, but Sam Cosme, I guess we can start there, ends up going in the second round to Washington. You know, here's the really good news. Washington has a very experienced offensive line coach, and we've talked about it, that not all 32 offensive line coaches are are really good at what they do. So I think it was imperative that Sam Cosme go to, go to a place that had a guy who really, really knew what he was doing and can reprogram him, recalibrate him, and get some technique in there. That could end up being a hell of a pick for them. I'm not sure how, how soon he'll be ready, but I do know that he's going to a good spot in terms of offensive line coaching.
1: Yeah, I, I hope that's true. I don't know the ins and outs of the Washington football team O-line coach. John Maxco. Okay, yeah, I don't, I'm not familiar with that guy. I usually am nerd out, and I usually know the preeminent O-line coaches at different levels. But um, if he's good as advertised, or even above average, then I think Sam Cosme is going to have a 10-year NFL career. Mm-hmm. I, I really do. I, I think Sam is a very good player, and I think he has a lot of meat left on the developmental bone in terms of skill. And whether he starts inside and then eventually works outside uh, will, will, remains to be seen. You know he's not super long, but people were talking about Sam as like as if he was like six two and a half. The guy, the guy's a legit six five. I know his arms aren't super long, but they're not, they're not T Rex arms. Um, the guy's got enough length to play offensive tackle in the NFL. And frankly, the people that, that sort of hold up this incredible standard of Jonathan Ogden, Orlando Pace as the standard of the NFL, those guys are freaks and exceptions for a reason. The, the fact is. The average quality of offensive line play, particularly out in tackle in the NFL, it's not so great right now. And so I think Sam is, is more than capable of eventually becoming a starter out there and, and being a vital piece of a team, which despite its best efforts, despite the best efforts of Dan Snyder over the years, actually has accumulated some really good infrastructure talent.
0: Yeah, and he's going to get a good test right away in practice because they've, done a, they've kind of done what the 49ers did, and they're trying to build with defensive line, and they've done that in the last couple of drafts. So he's going to have some good edge guys to deal with in practice that should sharpen him up a little bit.
1: Well, speaking of the edge, our man Joseph Osai, one of our favorite players, the product of a Nigerian lion mom, mm-hmm. uh, goes in the third round of the Cincinnati Bengals. What do we think about this?
0: I mean, I don't like anyone going to the Bengals. It's another number 46 that goes to the Bengals. I think he's much more prepared than Malik Jefferson, who, I mean, with the lack of squats, the lack of a lot of stuff, was just not ready for the NFL, and I think that's been proven out. But I don't like him going to Cincy. I do like Joseph Osai. I I think he's going to be able – you know, he's going to have to add to his repertoire. We've talked about that. Get a curveball and a changeup to go with that fastball. Uh, He's a little stiff. I don't know what they can do about that, but I think he's going to be a really productive player, and I think they're going to start him out as a specialist just trying to get to the quarterback on third-down situations.
1: Yeah, and I I think he's a a three-down player. Eventually, Um, yeah. Yeah, I was about to say a four-down player, which would be perfect for my four-run homer. Right, uh, exactly. Which Hodo nailed uh, not long ago. Uh, and you you I texted you four run Homer, and you got all excited because you had been thinking that no. um, uh, but yes he I think he 's a three down player. Joe is actually good against the run he 's a tough dude, and he can anchor the thing I like about that pick and it 's kind of a companion to Joe Burrow, I think the Bengals may have finally realized that culture matters and that you want like good dudes who play really hard, and that actually helps your team come out of the doldrums and I think adding a guy like Joseph Osai is a a step forward in that direction, just like adding Joe Burrow on the offensive side is a step forward in that direction. So the Bengals, historically an NFL wasteland, it's always kind of considered a a prison sentence for for NFL players. And I'm not just talking about the record. I'm talking about the Brown family and the fact that they throw around nickels like their manhole covers. Hmm. Nice dick line there. That's right. That's what Ditka said about Hallis back in the day. I know. I, know, I knew I couldn't get that past the Chicago-born boy. No way. Chicago-bred boy, I should say. But yeah, I, I think Osai, I, look, I think it's a chance for them to change the culture, and I think Osai is one of those pieces. So I love Joseph Osai. I wish him nothing but success in the NFL, and I hope he and some of the good dudes that the Bengals have added, uh, like Jamar Chase, like Joe Burrow, can change that culture up there.
0: Yeah, and that's an interesting point there, and and hopefully you're right about that. They ended up getting Wyatt Hubert later on in the sixth round at Cincinnati, so he'll have another Big 12 guy he's familiar with competing at that edge spot. But, yeah, all in all, I mean, I, I like Osai a lot, and and I just hope that it works out in uh, in Cincinnati I really think Taquan Graham's going to work out I thought I thought Atlanta had a good draft and I thought their fifth round pick of Graham was smart I think he's someone who's going to be able to play in the league help out in their rotation and is probably ready to play pretty quickly
1: any team that grabbed Kyle Pitts I was going to proclaim a great draft right. no matter what they did after because right. uh, I love that dude uh, I think very quickly he's going to be operating at a George Kittle Darren Waller Uh, Travis Kelsey level. And I don't, you know, that's a, that's a rarefied air in the NFL. And I think he is ready for it. So yeah, Taquan, look, drink. If you uh, thought Taquan Graham was going to go before Caden Stearns, I thought that. And I think you kind of thought that. I did think that. But I think media perception broadly was that Caden Stearns was a third rounder or something, which I just was not compatible with what I had viewed on the field. So Taquan, I think he has, I think he has a football player than the average Texas fan believes. And I, I think obviously he's going to be good against the run. He's a high level guy. He's got a great body. He, he has great physical ability. What, he's not super quick. He's not a great pass rusher. So the question is, is he going to be a good blue-collar workman-like player for Atlanta, uh, you know, holding down inside for them? Or is he going to add a little something to his game? and actually become a, a little bit of one of these late-round guys who goes out and gets you six-and-a-half, seven sacks, also plays the run well, and is, and is one of the building blocks for rebuilding Atlanta. Because, frankly, one of the most overrated GMs in NFL history, Thomas Dimitrov, way over the cap, and they don't have much talent. And that's a bad combination in an in NFL franchise. Yeah, no, that's not a good combination at all. But I
0: do think he's going to be able to – be able to help them out and so probably will stay inside for the most part and just try and anchor stuff down but uh yeah I I was with you I was not surprised that that he went ahead of Caden Stearns Uh, I thought Stearns would be a fifth or sixth round pick and ended up being right about that
1: yeah well, I'll tell you what on day three I was starting to smell UDFA but (laughs) the fact is Caden does have he does have that pedigree and and that and that freshman year is bewitching, right? If you're an NFL talent scout and you're looking for bargains in the later rounds, the hope is you can get that guy coached up because then you go look at the pro day and you're like, well, this guy's athleticism is not diminished despite the injuries or or whatever else. And I think I can get him. And, and, you know, getting it, it all gets back to Chicago, Kevin, but Vic Fangio, former DC of the Chicago Bears, now the head coach at Denver, you've got to think he may have, played a role in this draft pick. And if Vic Fangio sees something in someone, maybe there's something there, or maybe Vic has no, uh, Vic has no say at all. And this was a, a pick of John Elway's crew and, and his GM group at, at the Broncos, which is not always in line with the, the coach of the Broncos. Let's say it that way. So I don't know what's going to happen with Caden Stearns. M- my suspicion all along is that he, kind of at Texas at least, liked being a Texas football player more than playing football at Texas. Yeah.
0: Yep, I think you're right about that. And he just didn't feel like you had complete buy-in. He's going to have to buy in now. Interesting stuff. I saw Caden talking about this. Apparently John Gruden really ripped his ass when they did Zoom meetings and called them out and said, man, I expected a lot more on film. You're you're a shitty tackler. You take bad angles. And Stearns, you know, was talking about it and seemed to take it pretty well and said, you know – it." Um, I need, need that type of feedback, and I understand there's stuff I need to clean up in my game, and I, I'm definitely going to try and do that. But typical Gruden, he gave it to him, gave it to him straight, and he was pretty rough about it. So Caden Stearns has a lot of ability. I hope that this ends up being a steal in the fifth round. I'm kind of with you, though. I think this was probably more Vic Fangio looking at it as a defensive guy and saying, you know what, this guy, if we clean stuff up, could be a second- or third-round talent.
1: Yeah, I think you're right and uh I, I would love to be on that Gruden Zoom for any of these. Things. Oh god, I <laughs> hey, know. Hey man. Kate, man, you got to make that tackle, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll 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 touch on the Raiders at the end of this cuz they are they did raider type stuff in the draft yet again. So yes, that'll be did. amusing. Uh Mike Mayock, amazing. So I thought hey, i thought that though. We will. Uh but you know what? It's you can kind of look like a guru when you're sitting at NFL network and you got a bunch of graphics behind you yep. and you're, you're, you're making your proclamations and not necessarily having to own them. Right. And that's the difference. So we will, we will hit upon that on Mr. Mayock and, and the Raider brain trust. Hey, last but not least, Mr. Sam Ellinger, proud product of Westlake, uh, four year starter at the university of Texas. He's all over the university of Texas record. I realize just the kind of numbers that Sam put up at Texas, both rushing and passing Uh, obviously not the career that he had hoped for in terms of wins and losses, or certainly for Texas fans, but you know, Texas Texas quarterbacks don't single single single-handedly control the outcome of a game. And I think that the Indianapolis Colts and Frank Reich saw something in Sam and they said, Hey, we've got a good situation with Carson Wentz. We have arguably the best offensive line in the league. We're, We're developing wide receivers. We've got some tight ends. We have a stable system. People don't realize Indy's pretty damn good, right? I mean, they're they're right on the cusp. And Sam is going to have the opportunity to come in, compete, probably grab that second string roll from Jacob Eason if he performs the way I think he can. And then you're just one Carson Wentz meltdown away from taking snaps for the Indy Colts. Or injury, which has
0: been another thing. It could be either of those
1: or injury. You're absolutely right. And you think Frank Reich is going to be calling QB power about eight to 12 times a game, or do you think he'll just let Sam throw the ball?
0: Oh man, I do. I can see him because he used Jacoby Brissett and even did it in the playoffs and, and used two quarterbacks and used Brissett as a runner. So it's not going to, in fact, I'll be surprised if there aren't some packages in there that, that have a little bam, bam, Sam in them with some, with some, uh, passing options off that. But Yeah, look, he's tried to rework his mechanics, and I think he could not have gone to a better place. You mentioned that Indy's a pretty good team. They've done a great job in the draft the last couple years, and it goes back to the Costanzo-Quentin Nelson draft where they were having to rebuild that horrific offensive line, and they did that pretty quickly. So I really like what they've done in the draft the last couple years. I think this is a great place for him to go with a quarterback guru and with some opportunities there as
1: well. Yeah, the offensive line so bad it made Andrew Luck retire in his prime. Right. Yeah, that, that, that and probably the game of magic. Um, but, you
0: know. Uh, magic the Gathering? Yeah, I, he, he just seems like a, a nerdy type guy that wants to go do other stuff besides play football. But I think that had to do a lot with it. Obviously, he was pretty tough and dealt with a lot of injuries. So Sam has had to do that as well. He's going to a much better situation than the one Luck left.
1: Hey, can you imagine? I've, I've met Andrew Luck very briefly. Uh, he is gigantic. Yeah, I'm not sure huge. if that's always communicated on TV. He is a gigantic human being in every sense. And uh, how devastating and terrifying would he be if he showed up at Peace Park for the LARPing that they do out there? <laughs> the live action role playing? You know, where they have the uh, foam swords and all the D&D dudes, like, go out there and they, you know, there's a wizard who's, like, throwing paper balls at you saying fireball, fireball, fireball. Wow. I think uh, if Andrew showed up with his big battle axe and wearing, like, uh, you know, animal skins like a barbarian, you think everyone would just piss themselves and take off running?
0: I think they absolutely, what is this guy doing? He, he can't be part of our club. Oh, yes, he's part of your club. Paul, you sounded pretty familiar with that. Have you done that before?
1: Uh, yeah, man. How do you think I land chicks? Oh, yeah, God. exactly. <laughs> no, I've never done it, but I have sat in absolute awe and, and viewed them and witnessed these behaviors. And uh, it is terrifically entertaining. And you know what? They're, they're not hurting anybody. Right. It's, it's all good. And, and as you have made the, the very cogent point, if you're living in Houston or Austin, or if you're living in a city and you are not an active cattle rancher, and you're wearing a cowboy hat and Wranglers, like to walk into a Walgreens. You're engaging in some LARPing of your own. Yeah, yeah. So no. Right. Let's be clear about who we're criticizing here. Right? Absolutely. No, there, there's
0: a lot of dress-up going on all over the place and role-playing, and and pretty much you're. It's the eight-year eight-year-old in you who's playing cowboys and
1: Indians. Yeah, I mean, I I live. I mean, Austin, of course. You and I live in the hipster central's, and you see these. Little coddled trust fund kids walking around with mutton chop sideburns, wearing flannel <laughs> like they're 19th century. And, like, like, hey man, you're not a you're not a Union War General, Ugh. Ambrose Burnside. Like, let's let's get a trim. Let's uh, take off the flannels like you're a working man, and uh, you know, stay in your lane. Hey man, I'm feeling it. Okay, just because I'm not I doing
0: know. it doesn't mean I'm not feeling it. Uh, That's right. All right, so so, hey, so we so,
1: agree. Sam found a good spot. Yes. Now, let me ask this. If Sam had remained for one more year at the University of Texas, he'd had Sark coaching him, and he'd obviously been privy to a better, more sophisticated offense that would allow him to take advantage of his experience, his intelligence, he can change plays, he can do some Mac Jones-type-like stuff. I'm not saying he's as, he's, he sees the game the way Mac does, but that level of experience gives you a lot of autonomy, and Sark is a guy who will give it to you do you think he would have significantly improved his draft status in 2022? Yeah, I do. Because, uh, I, I, look, he, he redid his mechanics, as we talked about. I think that needed,
0: needed to be cleaned up, and having another year of that would help. Uh, but he was just going to have to show that he's more accurate and more accurate driving the ball down the field. And I think he would have done that with Sark. How much? I don't know. Yep. I'm not saying that he would have yeah. moved up like Mac Jones, but he could have been a fourth, third, fourth-round pick.
1: Yeah, I think I think he could touch the second. I really do, but just because if you look at how desperate people are for quarterbacks, I mean, saw, you saw what the Texans did with Davis Mills. Right. So, it's also he started eleven games. It's also so, a li- lighter class next year. Yeah, that's exactly right. So I think it's interesting. I, I just wanted to think about that. The other thing I did want to address with Sam, and I do think obviously there is value for him as a runner because he's willing, he's tough, and he's he's athletically capable. I guess my joke is, you know, Frank Reich is not going to rush him 15 times, right? No. Uh, He would use him selectively on a key goal line or red zone opportunity. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I mean, I don't think you're going to see it a lot, and that it's kind of what he did with Brissette. I think it's just going to be a little change of pace, have, you know, force the defense to be prepared for it and to work on it that week, and there could be some opportunities. Red zone, two-point conversion,
1: stuff like that. Yeah, I think you're right. And and the people are making the comp to Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill runs a four three forty. Yeah, they're different runners. Yeah.
0: These, these are different levels of athlete, just yes. to be clear. Yes. Yeah, there's no question about that. No, Taysom Hill is I, I know what they're what they see is they see a big, bulky, white quarterback and who's a mobile guy. Well, different mobility.
1: Yeah, absolutely correct. All right. Do we want to talk about the conferences and how it came out in 2021.
0: Yeah, I know you did some uh, deep digging on this. And do you have this up on Inside Texas yet?
1: I do. Okay. I have it on Inside Texas. and In fact, it was pinned, and now it's back down in the comments. You can find it. It's an article entitled 2021 NFL Draft Analysis. I'll cut to the chase. Per capita by conference. So in other words, I'm taking the conferences, I'm taking the number of football schools, And then I'm taking your raw number of draftees in 2021, and I'm just doing simple division. So, even this is the kind of math requirement a school school of communications and a history major can perform, Kevin. Beautiful. I can't do much more than that, so I'm glad you left it there. Well, I'm glad that you and I are both in the financial sector in various ways, too, as well. (laughs) Right. All right. SEC, unsurprisingly, Uh, Average 4.64 per school. The Big Ten, 3.41 draftees per school. ACC, 3.0, which is a rally from last year. Pac-12, the much, much shat upon, much they don't take football seriously Pac-12, 2.33 per school. The Big 12, 2.20. So the major P5 conferences... The Big 12 was last per capita. Here's the more mm, more troubling statistic, Kevin. The AAC, that's the All-American Conference, Navy, Tulane, Memphis, Houston, Tulsa, East Carolina. You guys get the picture? Yeah. They averaged 1.73. So the Big 12 was closer in talent production in 2021 to the AAC than they were to the ACC, Big 10, and SEC. Man, that that says
0: a lot, right there. Hey, quickly with the ACC, considering Notre Dame was part of that this last year because of the pandemic, they had nine guys drafted. Did you did that would have skewed that? Did you count them in with the
1: ACC? Uh, I did not count them with okay. the ACC. Okay, I counted them as independent because they're not formally a member of the conference, even though they play five regular season games. Right.
0: I agree. Yeah. Now in this last year, they they were part of the conference only for that one year because of the pandemic. But I think you made so, the I think you made the right call that,
1: there. Okay, thanks, man. Uh, I, w- I wasn't sure what to do with that. Now you made the right um, call. Yeah, Notre Dame, a more talented team than people thought. And, and I, obviously you knew, but I don't think the average fan knew. Michigan, and we'll cover this in a moment, but Michigan, a bit more talented team than people probably would think at first blush. But in any event, um, that is the butcher's bill. You broke it in, down in the conference. I can, I can expand on that. So of the 22 drafted Big 12 athletes, none of them went on day one. Uh, which is the first time that's happened since 2006 for a major conference. And that conference is the now defunct Big East. Man. (laughs) So 14 of the 22 picks were Texas OU and Oklahoma State. The remaining seven Big 12 schools provided eight picks. So, boy, obviously we want to get that number of Texas picks under Sark to between six and ten every year like clockwork. And you want to have at least – one or two first rounders and if and if that happens then you know wait for it texas is back
0: back <laughs> yeah, i'm never gonna say that they they until they win three championships in a row maybe on that third one i'll say texas is back i think we're back
1: when, i'm not sure though when sark does the the uh hat trick and gets the third title i i will put a Texas is back disclaimer on the podcast title and then we can all agree <laughs> we
0: can all all move forward yeah I mean I think it, it's it's pretty telling um I mean so, look we talk about things that are cyclical so next year Spencer Rattler may be the number one pick overall but there's no question Texas has to kind of get their own shit together and start developing guys and putting them into the league you know one guy we didn't mention that I was surprised would not drafted was Chris Brown in fact I I, I guess I'm I'm not surprised that he wouldn't draft it. I'm surprised he wouldn't signed as an undrafted free agent right away, and he's still available the last I checked. It, it feels like a lot of guys, and I thought he was going to be one of them, are diamonds in the rough, and we've seen that with Puna Ford. We've seen that with Malcolm Roach where people kind of know they're talented, but they feel like they can wait, wait it out and sign them as undrafted free agents or get them
1: super late. You know there's a a famous like old quote could be apocryphal from a GM or a scout where they say, "Hey, why didn't why don't you invite this guy?" And it's basically that like a four-year starter, 50 start type guy, steady, not a great athlete. "Why don't you invite this guy to training camp?" And the the GM says, "I'm afraid he might win a spot on the roster." Right. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of feel that way for Chris Brown. I do too. I do too. Yeah, he's not real twitchy.
0: That's obviously, um, and his size, too, plays against him. But his film was, was pretty good this last year. He, he was our best safety. Yeah. No, he, he was our best defensive back, second best defensive player. Yep, I think,
1: you're, I think that's about right. <laughs> that's crazy. Well, okay, so did you want to hit any of the top teams for the 2021 NFL draft? There were a couple of surprises in the top ten. Can you guess them? Um, surprises? Are we just talking overall draft here? Overall number of picks in the top 10 in 2021. I mean, top 10 total, right? By school. So Alabama had 10. That's not surprising. Ohio State had 10. Georgia had nine. Notre Dame had there nine. Two, there were two. Yes. Notre Dame had nine. There were two entrants to that top 10 that may be surprising. That should be surprising. You care to guess who they might've been? Hmm. Very difficult question. I make it pretty open-ended there. I'll throw North Carolina in there. That is a great guess. You're very close. No. Okay.
0: Um, It's a basketball school, though. It is a basketball school.
1: Stoops brother coaches there. Kentucky. Kentucky. Wow. May surprise people. You know what? Go back and look at their rivals or their 24-7 signees over the last three or four years. I think you might be surprised how much talent Kentucky lands, and and they do a pretty decent job of developing it. And then uh, this one, you will never guess, Pittsburgh. Wow. They had six. I never would have guessed that, yeah. I don't know how that happened.
0: I I don't either. And, I mean, I watch Pitt, and Pitt kind of has some spread out talent, but I I I wouldn't have guessed that. It just goes to show you, though, I mean, you get five or six guys, it doesn't mean you're going to have – a a great team, but it does mean that you're obviously developing some talent. So Pitt at well, Pitt at six, huh?
1: Pitt at six, isn't that shocking? I mean yeah, it is. You know, I can barely I can kind of remember as a kid when Pitt was like a legit football school. Yeah. We played him in the blue Tony bonnet bowl. Dorset. Craig Ironhead Hayward. Oh, even before then, right? Tony right. Dorsett, uh Dan Marino, Mark May, uh they had a bunch of Hugh Green played Hugh there. Green, yeah. I mean, they were uh, legit, and then they just sort of disappeared into irrelevance, but nah, at least they're talented. I have no idea how good they are. Um, All right. Well, we talked about the conferences and, of course, the geography that produces talent. If any of you are out there looking to stake a little of your own geography or to get a better rate on your current geography, and of course, the geography I'm talking about is your house, you need to give Gabe Winslow a call. 832-557-1095. Here's the deal. I sort of mentioned ominously that there could be some good opportunities for refinance coming. That time is pretty much here. So call in, give Gabe your application, then he will tell you when to pull the trigger on your refi. That's 832-557-1095. Again, the message is clean and simple. Get in your app now. Gabe will let you know when to pull the trigger and he's going to get you a killer deal that's going to put hundreds of dollars in your pocket every month and tens of tens of thousands of dollars in your pocket over the lifetime of your loan. By the way, if your loan is like a 375, which is a great rate by yeah. any historical measure, he can save you money. So, give him a call, 832-557-1095. He- Kevin Shall we talk a little NFL?
0: Yeah, we should. I just want to say, Gabe has been phenomenal for us, and I don't know. You hit the nail on the head. Like you got to do that right now, and because things, things, God knows where they're going to change. And I, I would, I would jump on that as soon as possible. Just like we talked about with David McClellan, it can't hurt.
1: Yeah, I, I agree 100. percent And hey, the beauty of Mr. Winslow, and as I've had direct feedback from listeners. They called him. They had a killer rate, and Gabe said, okay, who's it with? Oh, yeah, that guy's reputable. He's fine. Uh, yeah, I can't beat that rate. I could tie it. So if you want to go with that guy, that's cool. So, yeah. I mean, that's, that's great. That's assurance. And you can go ahead and pull the trigger. Or if he can beat it, or if he can give you a bigger context that sometimes it's not just about the rate, but also about the ability to execute and not lose your house uh, that you want to that's also a factor. So anyway, give them a call and uh, let's talk about the Texas pro teams as much as I dread it because following both of them is like a kick in the nuts sometimes. Yeah. And especially I felt like you were kicked in the nuts a little bit
0: more the last couple of years, but then with all this Deshaun Watson stuff, that's coming down. Um, we, you know, we can start, let's start though with the Cowboys. They are, With all due respect to the Texans fans out there, they are the big ticket in the state, and they are America's team, certainly Texas' team. What was your take, man? Uh, I felt like the way the first round played out, it couldn't have played out any more poorly for the Cowboys. You wanted one of those corners there. I like J.C. Horn a little bit more, but either one of those guys would have been fine. And all of a sudden you got a little run right before y'all are picking at 10 – on JC Horn and then Patrick Sertain, and you end up. I, what I did like is at that point you traded down, and I guess still got
1: your guy. You happy with Micah Parsons? <sighs> not really. I think the Cowboys panicked. I, I they expected to draft a cornerback, and it was going to be either Sertain or Horn. That's who they had it. Their their sort of heart set on. I think they traded down, not necessarily strategically. But I think to buy time to figure out who they're in a draft. Oh,
0: my God. I really do. I mean, but I, please tell me they had gone through all these different scenarios and, and had played it out to where maybe those guys aren't available.
1: Hey, are we talking about the Cowboys or yeah. are we talking about the Patriots?
0: Fair enough. But, hey, I know, I know. But, but, look, the Cowboys have had their shit together a lot more in the draft the last four or five years than they did when Jerry was, was just shooting from the hip.
1: When they just draft the best O line available on autopilot, that's when I'm happy with the Cowboys. Yeah, when they... They, they 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 don't screw it up. They give Jerry like some yarn to play with to distract him, <laughs> and then they're like, "We're not drafting Jan- Johnny Manziel with the number four pick." Jerry, go go in that room. They have like a fake phone set up with him and like fake <laughs> calling him. But yeah, so Micah Parsons obviously an athletic freak. You and I were musing about him before the draft, which is. He's a super freak. He's also playing a position which the Cowboys supposedly allegedly was a team strength. I know that's debatable based on injury and Jalen Smith underperforming, but you know, if you want to improve your defense, I don't start at linebacker in the NFL. I start at corner. I start at edge rusher. Yeah. I start at some of those key, key positions where the, the Cowboys are frankly deficient. Yeah. And I, I don't think you add to the linebacker core. And, of course, they go later and they draft another linebacker, uh, a guy who I'll actually like. But Micah Parsons also has some character issues. And I know the Cowboys don't shy away from those guys. Uh, Michael Irvin uh, very famously sliced Everett McIver over open with a pair of scissors over a dispute about who got to go in the barber chair next. Wow. So uh, the Cowboys are not immune to scandal and some character issues as long as those guys perform on the field. But Micah Parsons has some... He's got some yellow lights in his background. Um, I, I will admit he's an athletic freak. I know he's got some flexibility and that they could be used potentially as an off-ball guy or an edge rusher. I just I think the Cowboys were looking to draft, draft a cornerback, and I think he was what was left. So my hope would have been they would have traded down again um, and gotten more capital. But you know they did go later and draft Kel- Kelvin Joseph from... From
0: Kentucky, Kentucky right? yeah, via yeah. LSU, where LSU didn't want him. When LSU says you're too much trouble, watch out.
1: Yeah, that's true. So, he, Kelvin is a very un, inexperienced guy. He didn't start a lot in college, but he's a freak, and the games that he did play in, he was a, a really good player, and he played against top-notch SEC wide receivers. So, um, yeah, I mean, the overall grade, I'm okay with the Cowboys draft. I don't, I don't think it was particularly inspired or, or – Awesome. Um, I do like Jabril Cox. That was in a,
0: the fourth round. That but was I think a, he's a baller. That was a great uh, pick and a value pick, and made you even scratch your head a little bit more about Micah Parsons. But man, they they reached a lot in this draft and reached a well, ton and, for Naishon Wright.
1: And speaking of ball, yeah, Naishon Wright. Uh, speaking of baller, Josh Ball. Yeah, I mean, talk about off-field stuff. I right, mean, he's he's got like multiple domestic violence. Yeah. No, I mean, he he was ordered by the
0: the judge to not get anywhere near his ex-girlfriend at Florida State. He had to leave Florida State. He couldn't stay on campus anymore. And so he ends up going to Marshall. So, yeah, throw ball in there with – I don't think Micah Parsons' issues are anywhere near as serious as that. And then uh, Kelvin Joseph – look, I mean, once again, this is not anywhere near Josh Ball, but if you're looking for focus and and just how bought in these guys are, Kelvin Joseph, one of the issues that LSU and Kentucky had with him, because Kentucky apparently wasn't too fired up, they were okay with him going pro as well, is yeah, he has six rap albums already.
1: <laughs> like, oh, oh, I bet, what the I fuck? Have just, I haven't listened I'm going to go out on a limb and say they're absolute dog shit. I would think so. <laughs> I guarantee you it's just where the dude's like uh, mumbling into auto-tune. Right. Right? Yeah. Kind of rap?
0: Yeah. Uh, Joseph's really impressive. But, yeah, I mean, it was very much a Dallas Cowboys, Dallas Cowboys draft in terms of not just so much the reaching, but – taking a chance on guys that that help some off the field issues and uh we'll we'll see how it works out. I was not overly impressed with their draft though. And I've been pretty impressed with their most of their drafts the last four or five years.
1: I agree with you. Um the one thing about Kelvin for upside beyond the fact that he might um he could throw down a dozen rap albums before he turns 21. He's not 21 years old yet and he was hanging with really good SEC receivers. So there is some upside for him still physically and in terms of the growth of his game. I think that's what was bewitching to the Cowboys. What I might have tried to do is if you, especially since you could get Jabril Cox later, who I think could pan out to be just as good as Parsons, at least effectively on the football field, not, you know, in terms of measurements, but I think you trade back again and maybe you double up on your weakness. Maybe you go get a Greg Newsom Jr. from Northwestern and then pair him with Kelvin Joseph Mm -hmm. and just In one fell swoop, you address a major deficiency in your program. I like that. You know, the other puzzling thing with
0: them is, what's their deal not drafting a safety? And there were some safeties available. Now, maybe they would have taken Trayvon Merrick. The word is they wouldn't have. He went a pick before them. Someone had moved up to take him in the second round. Apparently, they were still going to take Kelvin Joseph. And you're right. Joseph is an impressive athlete on film. But... Look, I mean, they continue to neglect the safety position and not put any value on it, and it shows with their defense.
1: Well, and it, what's crazy, Kevin, is if you look at the Dan Quinn system that of defense, which various teams in the NFL have tried to implement, the only places it's been successfully implemented are Seattle, the famous Legion of Boom, uh, and then also one year in Jacksonville when yeah. they had an absolutely loaded defense and. I can tell you the keys to that was high-level secondary play. Yeah. And Earl Thomas, free safety, uh, was the absolute key. Richard Sherman, an absolutely great player, super high football intellect, all that. I know Cam Chancellor is a good hitter, good player. That thing was cemented by Bobby Wagner's coverage skills and Earl Thomas's ability to cover the entire back. Yep. And if you don't have that kind of piece, and the Cowboys, I can assure you, do not. I just don't see how that that defense can be super successful. Yeah. So anyway, do you want to do you want to go from uh, average to worse and talk about the Texans?
0: Yeah, let's get to the Texans. Uh, if I would have told you a year ago they're going to take a quarterback with their first pick in the draft, you would have laughed at me, and rightfully so.
1: Well, that's really a message that if you're going to deliver to me, you want to kind of massage me a little. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> You don't want to just throw that on me. No, no, I wouldn't. Uh yeah, so the, so the
0: massage massage stuff has completely changed uh what what they're doing and look, he's got 22 civil counts right now. We'll see kind of see where that goes, but my guess is Deshaun Watson's not playing football for anyone next season, probably the whole season. So they go out and get Davis Mills. Davis Mills from Stanford. Hasn't uh, hasn't played a ton of football. I know that he was a big recruit, and people like some of the physical stuff that he brings to the table, but he was also one of those guys with Kellen Mond we laugh at that as you get closer to the draft, all of a sudden you start hearing names of possible late first round surprises, and you're thinking, where did this come from? And Davis Mills was one of those guys, so they may have gotten a pretty good pick to take him in the third round with the third pick overall, but... Look, this is a team that has to completely rebuild, and I guess Davis can be a part of that.
1: Yeah, you know, I erroneously said that Davis went in the second. Thank you for that correction earlier. Uh, I'd forgotten that Bill O'Brien traded away the entire draft for the next two or three years. They didn't have a second-round pick. (laughs) They do not have a first round. They didn't have a second round. So they get old Davis. So Davis has 11 college starts. That's a red flag right there. Here's what's appealing about him. He played at Stanford. I did get to see him just by virtue of of, of osmosis living out here and, and flipping on the television and seeing Stanford. He looks the part, Kevin. I mean, he looks the part. Yeah, he I'm does. I'm talking 6'4", six, 6'5", six, 225. Handsome, chiseled jaw. Stands nice in the pocket. Great arm. Uh, know, I... The word arm talent is oft abused and never defined, but... He's got arm talent, whatever that might be or mean to you. Uh, but he started 11 games, and he just doesn't have a, a track record. And, and he's also got a pretty significant injury history. So I think, the you know, obviously they want to put him into a good S&C conditioning program, a lot of uh, cryo, and, and probably some deep massage.
0: <laughs> God.
1: Oh, just be careful with that. Be careful with that.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny you mentioned that he's, you know, big guy, looks the part. It kind of takes me back to uh, Moneyball. You know, we're not selling blue jeans here. Um, no, and, we, are, we are not. And he locks on receivers. I, don't, I know there's a lot of questions about
1: his decision, decision making. I mean, he's a complete project. He is. And you know what? I, I see Texans fans uh, crapping on Nick Casario, the GM. Nick Casario is playing an incredibly bad hand. I yeah. mean, I, I – what what do you want him to do? I, right. I don't I don't I don't I, I mean Bill O'Brien gutted the future of that organization. So what do you want Casario to do? I mean he, he's doing the best he can.
0: Yeah no I I think you're right. It, it's a tough position to be in. And I think what they're upset about is that you needed defensive help and you end up taking with the next pick they had, which was also in the third round. Later in the third, you take Nico Collins, a receiver from Michigan. In the fifth that round, bizarre, it, totally bizarre. That doesn't make sense. I actually get taking Brevin Jordan in the fifth round because that's a steal. Brevin Jordan yeah. should have gone way before then. He was easily the best player available, should have been on anyone's board, and should have been for about a round uh, before when he actually went. I mean, so he goes in the fifth round. I get that, even though they've got way too many tight ends. Look, this is just going to be a complete rebuild. They're going to be, they're going to be two and fifteen next year.
1: I saw, yeah, 17 game schedule. That sounds so weird to me in my ear. You, right? you heard me pause, and I was like, yeah, I guess that works. Once yeah, again, that commu- communications like, math. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to be saying sentences like, the Washington football team is good enough to go 10 and 7. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. People from, people from three years ago would be like, what are, what are you talking about? Yeah. Or what, uh, yeah so, look, so you're talking I, about a playoff I, loss? Collins, look, you're tied into some of that upper Midwest football a little better than me I watched him play he's fine it's a he's a dime a dozen good college receiver that can be gotten anywhere in the draft at any time yeah no yeah he's a bigger guy who runs nine routes
0: he's fine but his hands are inconsistent
1: yeah he's not bad no he's he's not not, but he you can get that guy whenever yeah yeah you can get that guy as an undrafted free agent sometimes from grambling yep I mean like Oh, man. I, I just. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel bad for the Texans fans, the, the 10 of you that remain. Um, and you know what? I'm, a, I'm I was a Deshaun Watson fan. I irritated Cowboys fans by saying he's a better player than Dak. But uh, he was. He is. Uh, he is. Yeah. He
0: is. yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: You got you to play in games to be a better player.
0: Hey, what do you think about this pick? So the Texans, they finally uh, hit their defense, and I I say hit their defense. It's not going to matter. They're going to be a minor league team next year. They're going to suck so bad. But they get Garrett Wallow, a guy we're we're familiar with. And they traded up twice to get him, which, yeah, the more I'm thinking about this, I understand some of the frustration with Casario. Uh, you're right. He's not playing that good of a hand, and maybe he tried to – kind of get some stuff, you know, was just trying to force stuff. But we've seen Wallow a lot. Wallow's a good football player. Do you think he translates to
1: the NFL? Yeah, yeah. I think he can play off ball. I mean, the, the big issue is the, there's no linebackers currently translating to the NFL. That's the issue in the league. Right. Because you're, it, it's a position that's always wrong. They've, they've managed the, 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 the changes in the offenses, the changes in schemes, the changes in rules. It, it makes you kind of always wrong. So, yeah, you get the 215-pound, super-fast linebacker who can cover, and then you run into the Baltimore Ravens, and they run power up your ass and rush for 240 yards. Yeah. Uh, And then the next week, you get your 260-pound, old-school, snot-flying middle linebacker, Dick Butkus, and then you play uh, the freaking Chiefs, and they're motioning out you know every player and they end up with Travis Kelsey one on one on your in the middle of the field with that guy and he he gives you know he gives up 11 catches for 180 yards and two touchdowns
0: no you're right The good thing Wallow was a safety before you know typical Gary Patterson guy he was a safety and then converted him to a linebacker so i, I think Wallow could work but you make some really good points about linebacker it's it's just kind of a tough fit
1: uh, all right. So, Anything else for yeah, the I Texans? Like, so that wasn't it. Wasn't wasn't me trying to uh, wallow? And he has the profile of a guy who's going to succeed as much as anyone at linebacker in the NFL. Yeah, I agree with that. All right. Who did you really like? Let's just go all the way through the
0: draft here to wrap this up. Uh, I'll give you one right now that I thought did well. I thought Cleveland. I don't say this a lot. I thought Cleveland had a really good draft. You mentioned Greg Newsom, the Northwestern cornerback. I like that pick a lot. And then they take uh, one of my boys, Jeremiah Wusu Cormoa who was another guy, was a safety in high school, and maybe gets that tweener label, 6'2", 220, 225. But, man, this guy can can flat-out play. And there was a little bit of a concern that came out after the draft that some teams had flagged a heart condition. Uh, Cleveland obviously was fine with it. I think they got two first-round picks, considering they got Wusu Cormo in the second.
1: Yeah, you know, Noah was a guy that a lot of people had projected for the top half of the first round. Yeah, but here's the problem, and and I think it's it's amazing. So it's funny we we talk we talk about real estate on the heads of our our great sponsors, and there's a big thing in real estate which is comps, right? right. Yep, that that really determines the market. It's your comp. Yes, and I feel like comps of prior hybrid players that didn't pan hurt. Jeremiah Rusu-Koromoa. Isaiah Simmons. Didn't have a good year. Bad, Outright benched, Kevin. Outright benched. And the argument for him was, this is a 240-pound linebacker who can cover like a safety. He's a hybrid. Is he a safety? Is he a linebacker? And the answer was, yes, he's everything. He's just this piece who can do it all. Turns out he can't do either at the NFL level, at least not currently. So... Does that comp translate to a player like Koromoa who has a similar profile, right? Is yeah. he a nickel? Is he a safety? Is he a small off ball will linebacker? And and I think affects NFL GMs psychologically. And I think that comp really hurt him in I, a
0: way. I think you're exactly right. I thought about that and and yeah, I think I think you're dead on And and don't think that that NFL people that are making these decisions are that sophisticated to look past something like that.
1: Yep. I think you're right. Um, You know what? I, I, uh, you saw my Cleveland one. Sorry. I I think they did a great job. I like the Jets. Uh, Okay. So the Jets was my other one. I thought the Jets had, and we rarely say that about those two organizations. They had a great draft. Yeah. Well, here's the deal. So Zach Wilson, you and I have been you were you and I were early on him and we've been we've been unwavering. Then I saw him in a suit. He's eleven years old, Kevin. Yeah. I'm really concerned about my Zach Wilson predictions. He 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 is a young, young
0: looking guy. I actually saw a split image with him and Mac Jones, and someone said it looks like Zach Wilson is an intern for Mac Jones Senate run. Yeah.
1: Zach Wilson Looks like a 17-year-old early entry uh, Fiji pledge that you yeah. would see on like, a composite photo, right? Yes, he does. And he uh. was like your best intramural quarterback. And people are like, that guy? Right. <laughs> uh, I, but I, I like their draft all the way through. Who'd they get later in the first? I don't have it up in well, front of me right here. Elijah Vera Tucker, who's considered the the best interior offensive lineman I think he, uh, I think
0: he's a Pro Bowl guard. I, in fact, I think he's going to be could be the best lineman of all these guys, and that includes and, Sewell.
1: Brother, they are going to put that guy next to to Beckton, yep. Mackay Beckton, and they are going to wreck some people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've seen that before. I've watched that before. Remember some of the good Seattle teams? I mean, pre Pete Carroll, Legion of Boom, with Walter Jones uh, and Steve. Uh, what? Oh God, what's the name of the? The guard,
0: for Steve was was no, with No,
1: he was a Cowboy center. Um, uh, no, that was Mark Stepnowski. was Wisniewski okay. is another guy. He played for the Raiders. Sorry, right. yeah, you're right. Um, he's a Hall of Famer, Steve. Now, something. What team was this on again? I, I,
0: I was Seattle. Seattle okay. Walter. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know who you're talking about, and and it's slipping my mind. But yeah, no, they're gonna crush people over there.
1: Uh, it's Patterson or what was it? Dang it. I hate
0: getting old. Yeah. We'll hit you up on the next podcast, but they also took, they also took Hutchinson Hutchinson from Michigan.
1: Yes. Yeah. Hutchinson and Walter Jones were the two, the best guard, and the best tackle in football run blocking. And they would run Sean Alexander every single down to their side and average five yards a carry. And you couldn't stop them. Yeah. I think jets are not far from that. And then if you can use Zach Wilson's athleticism outside of that construct and and let him create a little bit, but still let him protect himself, boy, I think they they might actually improve markedly pretty quickly. Yeah. So, yeah, I like the Jets. Uh, Can we shit on the Raiders very quickly? Yeah, let's shit on the Raiders. Okay. They drafted... (sighs) Okay. They got a guy... That you they could have gotten in the second round, and they drafted him in the first round. Yeah, I didn't like and the they, Leatherwood pick. They do this every year, Kevin. And yeah. I mean, look, if Leather Alex Leatherwood can play NFL offensive tackle at a high level, then it's a it's a fine pick. I have no problem with it. I don't think again. I don't. Think I think he can he's either. a card. Yeah. I don't think he can pass protect. I'm totally with you, man.
0: Uh, I mean, to take him 17 overall. Look, they took Farrell way too early when they took him fourth overall. Yeah, they've had some head-scratchers. I really thought Mayock was
1: going to be better. He's not good, man. I mean, I guess I mean this as praise in that you can't ever accuse the Raiders of groupthink. No. I mean, but how much of this, you know Gruden's calling the other day. Oh, yeah, yeah. Gruden runs the show there. And and the way you know that is by looking at the contract. Uh, and right. a similar situation is across the Bay, which is down in Santa Clara, the San Francisco 49ers. They drafted Trey Lance. a yeah. little curveball to us all. I was thought- that a, was it all a smokescreen, or was this something that they actually made sort of a bad move? They panicked, and then they just went with the, what they sort of could salvage at number three yeah I mean
0: look we talk about it people always try and make the quarterback group more inclusive than it probably should be and yeah Lance maybe is a first round pick there's just not enough of a sample size so I trust Shanahan and his offense but he may be believing his own shit a little bit too much I thought the Niners had an awful draft Uh, I like Aaron Banks but they reached for him in the second round Trey Sermon in the third round you can get a Trey Sermon running back in the fifth or sixth round. I didn't I didn't like
1: any pick they had. I agree with you, and I am I I sort of have some weird fondness for the 49ers, uh, even though I'm a Cowboys fan. Uh, Trey Sermon, I'm so glad you mentioned that name. Has there ever been a luckier running back? Oh, I know, right. He's running through giant green fields at Oklahoma, schemed up by Lincoln Riley. Then he transfers to, oh, Ohio State. Where they have a, a NFL first-round quarterback, a bunch of talented receivers, good offensive line, and they're playing—you know—half their schedule is feeble Big Ten teams who are going to put in a dime or a nickel right. to stop the passing game. And Trey Sermon—I mean, you, you saw the the Big Ten title game; like Northwestern was running like a, a two-and-a-half man front. I know. <laughs> I, yeah, it's. And then Sermon goes to the Niners, the greatest running back system, front-friendly system. And Trey Sermon was born with a horseshoe in his ass. Yeah. No, he really was. Yeah, the, the funny thing is, not on, I mean, obviously the two college
0: programs, but, I mean, the Shanahan system, the, the, they, can make, they can make no one look good at running back, and we saw that in Denver.
1: Yeah, and I, what I don't understand about Shanahan is why do they keep expending draft capital when they can get an undrafted free agent? I don't, in their I don't know. I don't know. I did not like the draft. I didn't like the draft for the Bay Area uh, either team. Yeah, well, uh, yet another sign of the decline of the Bay Area, Kevin. And that's why they're all fleeing and flooding Austin. And while they're doing that, uh, you better find a realtor who can kick ass and take names. And the realtor who can do that for you, dear listeners, is Laura Baker. You can reach her at 512-784-0505. We told you a story about really what differentiates realtors, Kevin, is their ability to go above and beyond the job, and really, whether you're a seller or a buyer. And Laura is a member of the Andy Allen team for Keller Williams, and I wanna tell you a little bit about one of the ways she creates value and goes above and beyond. Right now, appraisers are swamped. And people don't understand that the appraisal is one of the most important aspects of the sale of a home. Their job is to find market value. And if there's a significant divorce between what they appraise a house at and what it can be sold at, you've got a problem. And so one of the things you've got to really have is someone who can help manage that appraisal process by providing that appraiser with the most recent comps, the most recent market information in a moving market. Mm -hmm. And this is a central Texas market in which every week homes are appreciating by as much as 10 grand. So if you think you're going to be able to use comps that are 90 days old or 45 days old, you're in for a very rude awakening. So one of the things Laura does is she puts together a packet that details the area that appraisers use to determine market value. It's a spreadsheet of all pending listing info, the number of offers, how many offers over asking, and the approximate contract price, the offers received also on the client's home when she's representing the seller. She then meets the appraiser at the home on appraisal day, gives him the packet, and says, hey, I just put together a little something that might be of use to you. And of course, that appraiser who's slammed and running from house to house is more than happy to use that information to inform his appraisal. I hope you understand that that is a non-standard practice. <laughs> Very few realtors will do the legwork to make that happen for you. That's one of the many ways that Lara can create value for you. Give her a call. 512-784-0505. She has been fantastic. It's
0: so happy to have everyone who's been a part of our family, including y'all listeners, So uh, especially uh, the listeners. So we appreciate everyone who's been listening. We're almost at one hour even here. It's almost like we planned this thing, Paul. You have a great well, week, brother. It.
1: Absolutely. You too. You listeners go out there and kill it. Enjoy the good weather. And uh, we'll see you guys next week.